Hi folks and welcome, it is Vicky Midwood here and this is Raw Chatter, the stuff that matters. And for those of you who are new to my podcast, welcome and thank you for tuning in. This is an exceptional story about an exceptional lady and I feel absolutely delighted and honoured to have with me today Rosie Lyon. Now Rosie is the Young Banker of the Year World wide. She's very young. I'm not going to divulge her age, but she can tell you <laughs> if she wants to. Um, and she's going to share an amazing story with you all, guys. So sit down, grab a cuppa, off we go. Rosie, over to you. Welcome. Perfect. Thank you. And thank you for having me. My name's Rosie Lyon. I work in the banking sector. I have done for six years, worked my way up from a cashier. Now I'm an executive assistant to the heads of the bank. And I won Young Banker of the Year worldwide with my idea to build a fairer financial future for sufferers and survivors of domestic abuse. And this is sort of where it all come from. So when I was 17, I got into a relationship. It was my first relationship, first proper one, as you can say. And I didn't really know what the norm was in a relationship. It was like there was quite a lot of arguments and I was financially independent and I was, you know, looking after him. He kept getting in and out of employment. But I just thought that was the role that you played of having a partner. So at the age of 22, I got a mortgage. And that was the one thing I always wanted in life was a mortgage. And I got that yeah. at 22. Wow. Tell us, tell us a little bit more about that, because I'm sure there'll be people listening who are going, hang on, she was financially independent at 17 and supporting her partner, and she got a mortgage at 22. So just help people to explain, how did you manage to do that, Rosie? Yeah, so basically my sort of family background is banking. My dad in, was in banking from the age of 18 till... God knows when, uh, 36 years in banking and he worked his way up as a cashier and it sort of, I looked at it as if like that's what I wanted to do. Um, my parents, still together, they got a mortgage um, and it was always said like, you know, you want to get a mortgage, it's it's best to get a mortgage. Um, so I worked really hard. So at the age of 17, I got a job in a takeaway place. I was on £200 a month. Um, so that's kind of when I first met my partner, my ex-partner. And, you know, he was in and out of employment and I was still able with that £200 a month. God knows how, because I don't even really, you don't remember everything, but how I actually, I didn't have to pay rent to my parents. I never have done. Helpful, very helpful. <laughs> and um, so that money was all sort of for me. Right. So I had to pay for transport and stuff like that but I was still able to help him as and when I could and then at the age of 19 I was it 18 19 I started working at a care home and then I started to be on 200 pound a week so for me that was a big that was a big step yeah big jump and there was a lot of overtime involved with that so I could earn more money and if I did more hours I did ridiculous hours sometimes 60 to 70 hours a week um but it was because of my sort of motivation for wanting to have savings. My dad always drilled it into us. Um, I have two other sisters when I say us um, that you should have savings behind you and stuff like that. So that's kind of how I Brilliant. did that. Yeah. Well, you've got this incredible um, supportive family background behind you and an amazing work ethic. Mm -hmm. And you're getting into a relationship with somebody who 
to be fair, hasn't got those things. Yeah. But you are supporting him because that's what a partner does. Am I kind of on the right line? Yeah, that's yeah. it. Exactly. And so when I wanted to get a mortgage, um, he was he like needed somewhere to sort of live. It weren't really ideal for him to live at my parents. We didn't have the room. Um, so it was kind of like that was the only way really to make sure that he had a roof over his head and I could move on as well, I guess, because renting again, none of my family ever rented just because of that sort of the background that they were at. Like, you know, my, my dad did have the best upbringing as a child as well. So he was determined that his children had the best, the best upbringing. So that's why he influenced us to do that. So at the time it was 95% mortgage and um, yeah. for first time buyers. So, you know, and house price, I got a flat and the flat price was like 163,000. So it's quite cheap, relevantly cheap um, in Essex yeah. where I'm based. Um, so I didn't really need that much of a um, deposit really, to be fair. Yeah. So that, that helped. Yeah, <laughs> and I, and I did it. So I got it with, as a joint application with him. So I helped him build his credit scoring up. Right. I obviously had the savings and stuff like that. And at the time he was in employment when we got the mortgage. So two pays are better than one. Um, yeah. So that's how we got it. Yeah. Which makes sense. And it all, all everything seemed to fit, be slotted into place. So yeah, yeah sounds good. Right. But, yeah, but then. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I got it when I was 22 and by the age of 24, I realised that, I don't know, I just woke up one day and I was just like, this relationship's not working for me. Obviously, I was working long hours, like the commute to work was like an hour and 40 minutes one way when I was working in banking. Wow. So it was very long hours, a lot of time out of the flat and I'd come home and have to do all the cleaning and cooking and, you know, and then I had the financial independence where I looked after the finances and different things like that. And it was just like too much. So in January 2019, I basically said, like, I didn't think it was working. He asked if we could work on it. So I was like, that's fine. You know, so it was, we'd spoken about it before. And then one morning in June 2019, he rung me, he was at shopping and he said that he'd lost the joint bank account card. So we had a joint bank account for when we had the mortgage for the bills to make it easier. Okay, makes sense. And, a lot of people do, yeah. Yeah, and he said, oh, um, I've also lost the credit cards. But he kept his personal account. So he was like, can you transfer me £80? And I don't know, it was like, that was it. I was just like, right, I'll do it. But when he gets home, that's it. So I sat him down and just said, you know, I don't think I don't think this relationship's working anymore. I don't want to be with you anymore, sort of thing, in right. nice ways, obviously. He took it really well. We remained living together. It was a two-bed property. That was in June 2019. Then in July, I started getting phone calls when I was on the train on the way to work at like quarter past six saying he was going to burn my mum and dad's house down with them inside, um, smash the car up, lock me out. It was all because I was sorting out the finances and trying to break things, put the, the um, flat up for sale. And, you know, he didn't like that you know, it was ending and he obviously couldn't accept that the relationship Can I just was over. interject here? Was he yeah. working still at this time or was he not working? So at the time in July, this was July, so he was working, but by August, September time, he'd lost his job. Right. Um, but at that stage, because of the sort of the way he was being, the shouting, the threats, the empty threats, shall I say, because nothing ever happened, um, 
I was just like, and he was leaving the flat still for me to clean up after him. And I just couldn't do it anymore. So I packed a bag and I moved to my mum and dad's in August 2019. Because I just thought, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, he was, he knew I'd moved out. I'd left all my stuff there apart from a bag. But I went back at weekends just to pick up my post and say, look, we need to put this property on the market. Um, but he kept like not cleaning up. So I'd be like, can you clean up? And he's like, no. Um, or he'd be like, yeah, I will if I can borrow your car to go to an interview. And to keep it amicable, I was like, yeah, you can borrow my car. Um, right, you just wanted to get the flat sorted and sold so you could move on. Yes, that's right, it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. exactly. So then in October of 2019, it'd just been my 25th birthday. And I was on my way home from work and he said, I've got a new job as a delivery driver. Can I borrow the car? And I thought I'd put the car up for sale because even though it's in my name and I paid for it and the loan was in my name, he was adamant that um, it should be his and he should keep it. Um, God knows why. Um, But I was just like, no, can't do that. But I didn't want to tell him over text. So that evening he invited me round and said, do you want to have a chat about things? Mm -hmm. So I went round at half eight on a Friday night and that's when, when I said no, and I said, look, I want to just cut ties and move on. It's when he become verbally abusive, um, calling me all the names under the sun, um, saying that I was controlling, that he'd be homeless because of me, like he'd be homeless because of me. And he started like, you know, slamming about. I went to leave and that's when he started like the sort of the first time ever, sort of the shoving and was screaming and shouting at me and push, pushed me over. Right. Were you scared at that point, or, or, yeah. or not? I was really scared because I just I knew like with his like um the way he was being with the like sort of what we call emotional abuse, which I didn't realise it was at the time. Yeah. I was a bit like, oh, he's just angry, he's just upset, like because of the relationships ended and he's still not come to terms with it. Right. But when it was like the physical pushing and shoving, I thought this isn't right, and I was crying. I was screaming for help because we lived in a block of flats, right. and I was. He bent down to pick up my car keys to try and take the car, but he missed the car key, so I was able to take him back. And then I got my phone and rang the police, and he scarpered, and that's the last time I've ever been in the property with him. Yeah. Wow. So I'm just going to backtrack uh, a little bit for the people who are listening yeah. because I think it's important that we kind of help people to understand that you felt that you were doing everything that a partner should do in a relationship but he expected more of you in terms of finances being able to use the car get kind of help us to picture were you working all of these hours and him not working but you coming back to a flat that was a complete tip were you in charge of all of the cooking and all of that kind of stuff? In other words, was he expecting you to be his, most like his mum and take yeah. care of him? Yeah, because, you know, even when he was working, he would work around the area that we lived. So he'd be home, say, at like four or five. Um, and I would still not be home. So I finished work at five. I still had the hour and 40, 40 minutes to commute home. So, you know, so I still didn't get in till late and he'd be laying on the sofa and I'd be like, no cooking or cleaning done. And I'd be like, I'd mention it in terms of nagging as such as some would say, um, saying like, why haven't you done it? I've asked you, like I did ask you. And then he'd be like, I just want to relax after work. And it's like, 
well like so do I but it's important to know that you you kind of created this habit of just doing it because it, it needed yeah. to be done didn't it and and yeah. if you didn't do it it wasn't going to get done yeah. and you wanted to live in a space that was clean and tidy the reason I'm saying this is because some people listening will be going well why didn't she why did she put up with it why didn't she say blah 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 which is easy to say when you're looking from the outside isn't it yeah. but when you're in it you just kind of fall into this pattern not actually yeah. realizing that this in itself is actually a form of, of abuse and him expecting you to just always be giving 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 but when yeah. it came to you saying right enough is enough he then couldn't just cope with the reality of it could he yeah. so so you had this to do and the police were called and he did a runner yeah. and you've got the car keys so so tell us then what went on because because it doesn't end there does it no it doesn't it's a very long journey um so basically I moved back to my parents while well, I was living there anyway but police turned up like 45 minutes later um, even though our local police station is 10 minutes away because uh, they had more serious things to be dealing with um, and three men turned up body cammed quite new to me I've never been in trouble with the pol- not that I was in trouble but I mean like I've never had to speak yeah, to the police yeah. before yeah. and they write hand write the statement it takes forever and they repeat they ask you to repeat like your date of birth and you know you're never going to forget your date of birth ever again and <laughs> I finished it finished at about 1am drove home and then the next day I was like obviously the Saturday so this happened on a Friday I was supposed to be going for lunch with my friend I did go but I was going to walk around to her she lives five minutes from my parents I got to the front door and I stopped and I realized I can't leave the front door on my own and that's when my anxiety started because I was fearful that he'd see me his family friends because they all lived around the area because we was all very close close living um so that's when the anxiety started but during that time I had to go to court to get a non-molestation order but I didn't know how to because no one ever advised me not even the police told me it would be an option um I had to scope that sort of myself the council gave me a support worker um who come to court with me but when we come there she said I'm so excited to be here it's my first ever time um I was really obviously anxious and I was like oh my god that is um, not what you want to hear from somebody no, who's supposed to be supporting No, you. and I was quite a timid person as well. So I was just like, oh, no, this is awful. Went into the call, and this was in, like, November. So it happened in October. By the time I got to call and had the resources to go, it was November. He was still on the run. Police still couldn't yeah. catch him. Um, and I, the court penalised me, said that I should have come the day later, but I knew nothing about a non-molestation order. I also applied for an occupation. Well, just explain what that is to people listening yeah. who are going, what, what is that? Because I don't know what it is either. So, yeah, so a non-molestation order is similar to a restraining order. Um, it's just for your protection. It can be in for a maximum of six months, um, sometimes longer. Um, and it's just a non-mol is what the courts give you and restraining order is what police give you. So it's just... Right too because they don't talk to each other and it's not connected even though you'd think it would be um so yes I went to court but she granted it the judge she was scary I'm not gonna (laughs) she she granted it and I had to hire a bailiff to give it to him um this is all at your expense yeah all at my expense so that was 75 pounds just to do that part and his name was Barry and he was the he was probably the best thing that happened out of this situation because he was such a lovely man um, my ex 
uh, decided to muck him about, wouldn't meet him to give it to him, called him and F him whatever down the phone. So Barry the bailiff went back to court on my behalf to get um, to get it um, agreed that they could send it via email because right. he couldn't give it to him. So they granted that and that was great and it got sent to him. And during this time, I was working in the bank. Um, I had a lady manager. I'd let work know, but I was moving to a different department and I didn't know anybody in the department. I was very much like, oh, but I wanted someone to know what I was going through. So I asked my manager, could you let the new managers know? And she yeah. said, no, don't burden them with your problems. And oh. can you leave? Um, so yeah. hang on. how many years have you been in this bank now? Um, I've been there for six years. At the time, I had been there for three years, three years at the time. Right. So you've gotten to know your your the current manager in that department pretty well. And she knew what was going on. And she's advising you not to say anything when you go yeah. to a new department. Wow, that's just quite incredible. But yeah, carry on, babe. Yeah, so I um I actually thought no, I need to tell someone. So I reached out to one of the new managers, which was a male, didn't know him really, asked her if I could have like take a call with him. And I sobbed him down the phone and was like, this is what's going on. Well and done. Wow. That, that must have been hard, but 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 wow, well done. That's yeah, it was really hard. And he was so lovely. And, you know, he still works at the bank. And I speak very highly of him. He asked for my permission to tell a couple of the female managers that'd be able to help me. It was all kept confidential. And they did regular check-ins on me and everything. It was great. And the reason why I tell that part of the story was because coming back to he sent the um restraining order non-molestation order via email and I was in my new department that week and um I got a Facebook message and I'd blocked him on everything and all his friends and stuff and it was this guy that I didn't really know but he used to work with my ex-partner years ago and I was a bit like oh god what is this and it was a message and it said don't tell him I told you and it was a photo um and my ex-partner had posted the non-molestation order on social media. Um, and it had my name, my address, all the terms. And if, there was loads of people commenting, all friends and his like his friends and family calling me a C-U-N-T, um, saying that I'm a liar. And I had to obviously leave work to go give the police uh, like the evidence and stuff like that. So it's a good job I did tell work. It is goodness me, and this is what prompted you then, isn't it, to to now decide to do what the amazing work that you've done? Yeah, um, because your work didn't have any kind of policy or anything in place to help you one iota, did they? Yeah, no. So all that was going on, and obviously he, you know, he got charged for the breach of the non-molestation order. Uh, the charges got dropped for the abuse because there was no witnesses which obviously weren't going to be in our property. And we have a joint property. He refuses to sell, pay or leave. Um, I was paying it fully from June 2019 when we split till September 2020, even though I couldn't access the property. And I was just like, and to this day, it's, it's going into repossession now because I stopped paying through legal advice. Um, I can't even get a phone contract out in my own name. And, you know, it's still going on to this day. And, during this time, so in January 2021, um, I still couldn't leave the front door on my own, but I was a bit like, 
this isn't right. And my mortgage company, not the bank that I work for, they're the people that had the different bank. They um, had all the evidence that I'd submitted to them. I kept them updated. But once I stopped paying, they were badgering me, asking me why I wasn't paying. I was saying, can you read the notes? They were like, no. And I had to retell my story. There was loads of different problems. And I asked them if they had a domestic abuse policy in place. Um, They said no. And I went to my bank that I worked for and asked if they had a domestic abuse policy in place. Um, I knew what the answer would be because we're a bit, we're more business banking, so we're a bit, and it's in Ireland, a bit more behind the times in the high street banks. Wow. So they said no, and by law we don't need one, so we're probably not going to put one in place. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So in February of 2021, I, I I was already determined I weren't going to leave it at that, but the competition Young Bank of the Year got advertised by the Chartered Banker Institute. It was a worldwide competition with around 57 countries, I believe, involved. And it was, what idea would you implement in your bank to help customers, uh, staff and the community? And that's where a fairer financial future um, for sufferers and survivors come. Started off with like three bullet points on a page. and But I thought with this idea, and I started, I didn't feel I'd get anywhere, started getting through to different stages. And I was so passionate. I was like, I'm going to put my ideas into place. And I started putting them in place and I ended up winning. And it's the greatest achievement ever. Yeah. Incredible. But that doesn't take away from the, the fact that it's, it's really incredible for me to get my head around. And I guess it was incredible for you to get your head around at the time that there wasn't anything in place at all to help you so through no fault of your own you've had to vacate a property and not pay for it because it was the only way that you can get out of the mortgage that you were paying for a property to be sat there empty and because of that your non-payment your credit rating is now through the carpet all through no fault of your own and there was nothing or anybody or any kind of help in place at all to help you get back on your feet it absolutely beggars belief doesn't it in 20 well we were talking about 2020 back then weren't we when you all realized that there was nothing so i mean what you've done is is short of revolutionary in the banking no wonder you won Tell us, tell us now about what happened then. So how how did it affect um, your work in, in, in the department that you did? And tell us about going to actually get the award. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so my idea was um, like made a four point. So it's raising awareness, implementing training, enhancing policies and procedures, and how to obtain lending opportunities for sufferers and survivors of poor credit due to no fault of their own. And the lending one was one of the main ones for me because I always thought to myself, I always wanted this mortgage and that's been taken away. And I was like, why should I have to suffer forever? And at the time, I thought I was the only person going through this until obviously I did my research and realised, you know, one of the statistics of year end 2020, it was 2.3 million UK adults had experienced domestic abuse. And they say around 99% of people that experience abuse experience financial abuse. But financial abuse is not spoken about at all. Um, And that's why I wanted you on, because 
we think of physical abuse, don't we? Yeah. And we think of emotional abuse. And yeah. I guess financial abuse is kind of a part of that emotional abuse. But in yeah. and of itself, what you're describing is clearly financial abuse. And it's something yeah. that we have to get that conversation going with. And the fact that you've now got banks to have to think about these policies and putting it in place is, is just awesome. So, yeah. so tell us a little bit more about what, what that means now for people, I can't believe those numbers, for people yeah. who have actually gone through it. It's like anything, isn't it? Until you go through it you, yourself and you start doing research and you go, oh my mm. God, it's not just me, but those numbers are astounding. So tell us what will that mean for people moving forward? And indeed, what will it mean for you? What will you be able to do? Yeah, so it's still a work in progress. Um, I think with anything um, about any sort of vulnerability when you're, Learn, when people are learning about it, you want people to know the ins and outs so they completely understand so raising awareness I shared my story within my bank um, and we're based in UK Ireland and the US so I shared my story um, I've shared my story actually quite to, to people outside the bank as well like the NHS um, I did it to the FCA um innovate finance hm treasury these are all different um stakeholders within banking and yeah. um, and um yeah so then i was sitting on a board at uk finance where all the uk banks sit on and they were speak about domestic abuse anyway and they brought out the financial abuse code um which certain banks have signed up for by the end of this year we have loads of different new procedures to put into place which is exciting but yes I was raising the awareness implementing training um quite a lot of banks you'll see now um especially on LinkedIn because people like say a lot on LinkedIn anyway um they're getting specialized training from uh, charities such as surviving economic abuse um they're, they're the only charity that speaks about economic abuse um which is similar to financial abuse and they um they do a lot with banks and it's brilliant to say it's a brilliant charity and um, so training will be put into place for that um we're doing training we're going to be doing training with them i've seen other banks already doing training with them which is brilliant um and then policies and procedures i brought out a policy in september 2021 so bearing in mind this idea only come from february 2021 i've got a policy put in place by september yeah and it's one of the first because because we're an irish bank as well i think it's one of the first policies in irish banking and it's a domestic abuse policy and it just says um what domestic abuse is the signs the myths the different types of abuse and then how we can help and there's things such as we give 10 days extra annual leave so if you need to go to court here you don't take it out of your normal annual leave flexible working risk assessments and signposting i love the policy i literally love the policy hr have been amazing like that the, the bank that i work for aib um they were great once i was in this competition they were amazing the ceo um the leadership team all everything it was just they were just so supportive so amazing Fantastic. um and then we're looking at different procedures anyway this year about how to how we can um, split joint bank accounts and um, changing address without the other parties can set, you know, different things like that. And them, yeah, 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 that's it. And one of the procedures um, I saw, there was a gap um, in our procedures and it was about financial exclusion. And it was how, if, you know, like people that are in prison, homelessness, how they can open a bank account. 
um because obviously everybody needs a bank account and domestic abuse was on there and i saw there was a gap so in the domestic abuse act 2021 it come about that gps can can give free letters so i have a letter from my gp that says my name my address and that i'm suffering domestic abuse and the mortgage company has that and so we brought out a procedure where if you don't have identification or proof of address, say it's in a property you can't access, like me, yeah. Yeah. Um, you can now just provide a GP's letter. Brilliant. Um, Brilliant. So that's just at our bank. Um, we are looking to see if we can, I'll be like speaking at UK Finance soon, to see if we can get it consistent across the board with other banks. And I think that would be an amazing one. Yeah. Um so there, and there's loads of procedures going on this year so much I'm so excited and then the lending opportunity one was a hard one I thought it's not going to go anywhere for ages but I was able to contact and get involved with the CEO of Equifax account score um which is obviously the biggest one of the biggest credit, credit agencies yeah. yeah. and we were looking at using the open banking platform which is just like a platform um it looks at your income and expenditure rather than just a credit scoring um, so we piloted that on my own bank account because I've got bad credit score in yes. and it come up with a proof that I'd be able to obtain lending. Brilliant. So at the moment, we're looking at how we can sort of market that and get that put into place. And I'm hoping by the end of the year we'll be able to. And again, it will be a case that if someone needs a credit card um, or something like that to help just help rebuild their lives, yeah. they can provide documentation such as a GP's letter, court letter, whatever documentation they have to say they've experienced domestic abuse and then we should be able to using open banking as long as their income and expenditure and they can afford it so it don't put them in make them more vulnerable of course we don't want to give it to people that can't afford it completely then they'll be able to get small lending to help rebuild their lives and when that comes in you know we'll be even looking at if it works which i'm sure it will like credit cards and lending and we'd look at even like mortgages do you know what i mean and it's just like that'll be a breakthrough in banking amazing so for you that's going to be a real possibility that that maybe in another few years time you will be able to legitimately get another mortgage in your own name (laughs) so i mean one of the things that's come from this that i i think you know is something that i mean i'm very fortunate that i had a, a a parent who who used to tell me to do a lot of stuff when I was younger. I was just like, what's the point of that? But mm. actually, right, it was really, really helpful. But things like always take a photograph of your documents yeah. so that you've got your numbers and, and that sort of stuff. And you kind of think, mm, really, do you need to do that? Or, well, back in the day, I'm talking, he was saying photocopies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but, but now, obviously, you know, get at least get some stuff on your phone so that you have yeah. got some form of, of ID if you, can't, if you can't get to it. Obviously, if they take your phone, off you that that's that's another story but I think also understanding that that people don't get into these situations it's like I'm sure you must get people yeah. saying oh joint mortgages not a good idea blah 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 but you can understand why why people do it but yeah. for them to be so difficult then to get out of should something go wrong yeah. you know it, it's about time things change so what I want to also know is now how are you personally because obviously you, you had a mission and you had a, a reason to keep yourself going and to carry on moving, moving forward. But what about you now leaving home and the anxiety and all of that? Are you still getting that or not? 
Um, so in certain areas, I'm fine with walking around on my own. And um, in the area that I live, um, not really. I don't mind going. Like I have a new partner now, and he's supportive. He's amazing, and he grew up around this area as well. We've known each other since we were fourteen, and you know, so that gives me some sort of comfort. But the other day, I say the other day, Saturday, I actually was so relaxed I thought to myself no I am so I actually went out and I walked to the shop and I went in the shop for a fir- for the first time since 2019 on my own wow well yeah. well congratulations and, and amazing so even though you probably didn't think that that would ever happen it's a case of yeah. time and feeling more confident and secure yeah. and safe mm-hmm. again isn't it and yeah. um, so it's great to hear that you've got a new partner so obviously it's not put you off being in no. a partner <laughs> Which is great because a lot of times, and I'm sure you can relate to this, even though it's not your story now, but maybe for a split second, you kind of go, is it me? Is it my fault? Is it? Yeah. And I think people will blame themselves first before actually looking to the other person. But you gave us a really rounded picture of the kind of the background that he come from and the fact that you were very different in terms of your desires and your work ethic and your standards and all that kind of stuff. And there's this idea, I think, sometimes, isn't there, that that if we kind of support somebody, they'll come up to our yeah. level, <laughs> or yeah. our, and and they can, and we and we kind of get a bit flummoxed, especially because you're obviously an intelligent person who's a high achiever. The fact that you've done what you've done and you've written this policy and everything else just is is absolute proof of that. But but you kind of expect other people to kind of have that same drive and desire to improve themselves and to move forward and when they don't it it kind of feels like okay well is it something I'm doing is it something I'm not doing and and to realize and to be able to understand it's it's not you it is them and they're just not the person that that perhaps you hoped that they were going to be um but what I want you to um, just kind of let people know is that if if they are struggling and maybe somebody listening is going, oh, my God, I'm in a situation that's like mm. almost what Rosie described. What should they do? Where should they go? Who can they reach out to? Yeah, my um, the main thing that I did was I reached out to Refuge, the charity, which is 24-7 helpline. Um, they were great, actually. I rang them on a couple occasions. They do signposting to what's in your area to get a support worker, say. Like, even though I had a poor support worker before with the whole court situation, I then got another support worker in late 2020, and she was amazing, and she empowered me. And she, like, you know, she brought, she helped me bring my confidence and bring myself back and realise it wasn't my fault. So I think that's amazing. Like, so Refuge can signpost that. They're also there if you just need to have a chat and they can give advice. Um, they're really good. If you're a male going through it, um, there is a charity called Mankind Initiative. And um, they do have a helpline as well. Um, amazing charity. And they can, ha- they can help men who are going through it as well because I am a true believer that even though the statistics show there is more female that go through it, every every gender goes through and it can happen to anybody yeah um so yeah they're they're the main charities yeah brilliant and and that's the key isn't it is reach out don't suffer in silence talk about what is what is going on um and if people wanted to connect with you and find out a little bit more about what you do rosie what's what's the best way for them to do that 
Yes, yeah, so I have LinkedIn. So it's Rosie Sarah Lyon, Lyon, L-Y-O-N, because uh, people get confused with that one, which is fine. And <laughs> in the about, you, you'd see it was me because it just it has everything to do with domestic abuse on it. Um, but in the description or about me section, it has a link. And in that link, it has all my social medias. Um, my main ones are like my Instagram and Twitter, which is Rosie SDVA. So Rosie S is my middle name, Sarah, obviously, and DVA is domestic violence and abuse, just for anybody wondering what the hell does that mean? Um, And it comes up with my blog. It comes up with what webinars I'm on next and podcasts that come out are on there and stuff like that. So, yeah. Brilliant. So people have got the opportunity to hear a little bit more about your story Mm -hmm. and just exactly what it entailed if they if they want to. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say, just keep on doing the good work. And and let's just hope that more and more people can get their credit sorted out if they Mm -hmm. have been in the situation that you have. And and I just hope that eventually you you can get a mortgage of your own if you want to, when you want to. (laughs) And there won't be any issues. Thank you once again for your time and thank you folks for listening i am vicky midwood this has been raw chatter and we do talk about the stuff that matters thank you and i'll see you on the next one